Irish Illustrated Insider, September 14th, wrapping up Notre Dame's 27-13 victory over Duke. I'm Tim Priester with Tim O'Malley from Irish Illustrated and Pete Sampson of The Athletic. And it, you know, it was a, I mean, it was a tough game to watch at times. It got really quiet in the stadium at times. I know that there was, there was talk about the, the, the crowd was good, and it was at times because you spread the student body out. But it got a little quiet in there a few times when Notre Dame went through some of their offensive problems. But I thought Tommy Reese called a, a really good game in the second half. And, and it had, had Ian Book executed the offense a little bit better. Uh, and, and a couple other players as well, because you did have some young guys making some mistakes. I thought it would have been um, a, a little bit of a larger spread than the 27-13 outcome. Yeah, I thought it was a, a better performance as the farther I got away from the press box, I guess. Um, you know, it was, I think that when you're sitting there and you, you sort of fixate on the first quarter because it's the first thing you've seen, and then sort of gets lost at the average, I think, more than 10 yards per play in the second quarter. Um, I thought, so I, I guess I, I didn't think that Reese waited until halftime to sort of adjust and adapt to what Duke was doing. So overall, I, I came out very encouraged with uh, Reese's first real full-time game as the offensive coordinator. Just the fact that Notre Dame didn't jump on them enough is what people probably are hanging on to. Like Isaiah Foskey makes a great play at the goal line. And that stops Duke from going ahead of Notre Dame 10 to seven in the first half in the second quarter. You know, that's not something you really were projecting. I think for the opener, even, even with the oddity of this opener, but yeah, if you look at the, and you look at the Notre Dame defense, Pete, you said the offense, what they did in the second quarter um, after the so much success for Duke's offense in the first quarter, Notre Dame in the second half held them to 2.7 yards per play on first down. And they were not doing that in the first quarter. <laughs> so, look, Duke came out and ran something different. Notre Dame didn't handle it great. Then they handled it great. Um, will that work if you're playing a better team than you that comes out and does something different? No, you'll probably fall behind 13 to nothing as opposed to 3 to nothing. But that, that rarely has happened to Clark Lee. You know, and I thought, I mean, like you said, Pete, the first quarter kind of sticks in your head, the first three possessions. But – then their next nine possessions, they had 441 yards. Yeah, uh, They had a 96-yard touchdown drive, a 75-yard drive with a ridiculous interception, a 54-yard field goal drive, a 59-yard touchdown drive, an 83-yard touchdown drive, and a 40-yard field goal drive. I mean, I, I you know, I thought the play, the, the, the quarterback draw on third and nine where Book was tripped up, and it was because Aaron Banks just didn't stay on his block that would have been a first down and, and things would have changed dramatically there. Now, after Duke punted the ball back, Ian book throws a, a terrible screen pass to, to Kyron Williams, which is set up even better than the, the previous 75 yarder. That was going to be 75 yards easily. There was, there was nothing but green and three offensive linemen out front. So I thought, I thought Tommy Reese called a good game. All things considered, did he get out coached? In the first three series of the game, okay, I guess you can say that. But I thought the lack of execution by the quarterback, the further I got away from I'm normally when I'm in the stadium and I, I and then I watch the game, I thought Ian Book played better than I anticipated. This time when I rewatched the game, I thought he played worse than I anticipated. I think that changes the perception for everybody too. Um, if Book hits that screen pass, we probably don't care about Aaron Banks missing the missing the block right on his draw because you hit that screen pass you go for another 75 yards you now have a tunnel screen for 75 yards and a slip screen for 75 yards that is gorgeous and that's all anybody wants and book stats look better um Ian Book uh, according to Pro Football Focus his average yards per pass was 5.1 which is the lowest of his career you just don't expect that against Duke right but I think it definitely speaks to Notre Dame's wide receivers and Ian Book's no Kevin Austin, no Braden Lindsay, and Ian Book's work with the wide receivers to date. I, that's not all on Book, even though I did not think Ian Book played well at all. No, I think that I, I'm pretty sure we've talked about, or I've said this, or we've all talked about, like, I just think Notre Dame's receivers are below average. Like, they're not even pedestrian. Um, you know, the fact that Joe Wilkins is suddenly your number one receiver and that your three most athletic receivers are not playing in the game, and then you lose also Bennett Skronik on top of that, I mean, you're Javon McKinley is a decoy. 
he's he played 60 snaps. That was the most of all the offensive skill positions. He had one target that was wiped out by a penalty. I mean, that's not that's not big time football um, in terms of the the material that Notre Dame is trotting out at receiver right now. I don't know if there's a necessarily a fix to that other than time and healing, but um, I, I I think that. That is to me, to me, that's a bigger story than how Ian Book played or did not play. Lindsay, I think, is part of the fix, and it appears that he'll be back on the field. But you think about this, guys. Norton played that game without Chase Claypool, Cole Komet, Chris Fink, Kevin Austin, Ben Skoranek, and Braden Lindsay. I mean, yeah, those no. are the six best receivers since they last played a game. They'll be playing without those guys other than Lindsay through the next two games at least. No, I get that. You know, I get that. And and Pete, I mean, I agree with you, but I give I give Joe Wilkins a lot of credit. I don't think that he he didn't play pedestrian Saturday. I thought he made some really, really key great plays. And I thought Avery Davis made not only a great play on a third and eight in which he pushed really hard, uh, pushed the DB back and got the first down on on uh, for nine yards. And then the touchdown pass. I mean, the reason that – this is why I always felt like the reason that Avery Davis was ahead of Lawrence Keyes, and I wasn't surprised when that came out, was that he's a lot stronger than him. And the play that he made in the end zone was a strength play. Uh, I think it was Mark Gilbert was the DB who was pretty hobbled by that point. He was, yeah. he was banged up. I mean, Norton, at the end, by the end of the game, Norton had been beating the crap out of Duke. There were, there were a lot of Duke players laying on the ground and peeling themselves off the, off the ground. So, um, you know, I, look, they, there are Javon McKinley is not a guy that's going to get open a whole lot. I said something about he couldn't have gotten open Saturday on the South quad at, at, uh, at Notre Dame. I mean, but he blocked his butt off and yes, he, he did. He played a significant role as a blocker on the, the, the 26 yard touchdown run by Kyra Williams. So they've got to piece it together and they are in a situation where they can get through September undefeated, have a week off, get Kevin Austin back. Uh, you know, Ian book, if he would just, if his psyche wasn't so fragile at times, he throws a he throws an interception inside the red in the red zone on first down, which just should not happen, and it's happened way too many times in his career. Then he comes back and throws one up for grabs. Did he know that Chris Rumpf was, was offside and that he had a free play? I don't think so. I don't know, but I, I think it was more frustration that carried over from the previous interception. And at this stage of his career, that just cannot happen with him. Yeah, I th- O'Malley and I were talking before he hit record. Like, I, I had a bigger issue with that play than the actual pick. Um, the one that got wiped out, I don't know if he just was off balance or Tremble stopped or he, he didn't see the defender who just sort of sat down there in zone or, or what happened. But the the overthrow to Keys, Keys is not 6'7". Um, <laughs> you know, it just – it. Blackwell sitting right. Blackwell, right. Blackwell is playing center field there, man. He is just waiting yeah. for a silly mistake, and and Notre Dame got away with one because Rump stepped off sides. Um, the Hamilton injury, uh, wow, could have been a lot worse. They 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 really are going to get lucky whether he plays this week or not, which I think is going to be very very difficult. They got away with one there because that could have been a lot a lot worse. Yeah, and it's. Talking to people close to Hamilton, I, I think it's fair to say if they were playing Clemson this weekend, he would play. But Correct. they're not. They're right. playing a team where they're 26 and a half point favorites. Kyron Williams, uh, <laughs> I think better than any of us anticipated. I know a lot of people out there were excited about Kyron Williams. I wanted to see it. I saw it. I believe, you know, I believe <laughs> I, he's, he's, he's tough. Um, you know, he's tenacious. He has balance. The short touchdown run was really pretty incredible. I mean, he leaped over that guy, landed on one foot, stuck his left hand out. I think it was on Jarrett Patterson, kept his balance and got in the end zone. He's a tenacious, hard-fighting running back who, uh, you know, he he's, he's probably not going to get a lot of 75-yard runs because he doesn't have that last gear, but he has that gear when it comes to elusiveness and quickness in the open field. Yeah, he's going to get plenty of 25-yard runs. He is a uh, – he'll make you miss. He'll run through stuff. Uh, his vision will only get better. As you said, he's tenacious. I That was the most impressive part for me was that he ran hard. Like, he ran like – he had a little angry to him running. 
And I knew he'd make people miss because we saw in the spring where he played. And the two things you knew about Williams was he could make you miss from his first spring and his first August. He could catch. He did both of those things, but he ran like a running back too. That was not a change of pace guy. He could actually be given the ball 18 times, which I, I know who could be on the team. I mean, I was in this order. What impressed me about Kyrie Williams, one, his ability to run hard with balance. Two, his ability to just completely sacrifice his body in blitz pickup and pass pro. And then three, receiving, where, you know, he didn't have a great connection with Ian Book throughout the game. It's, it's rare that you would see a running back only catch 33% of his targets, um, which is about where Williams was. But I thought the first two things, man, I, I was so impressed with, I mean, he got run over in blitz pickup, but <laughs> he got, he put himself in the way. Like, not a lot of, not every back does that. So, I, I man, I give the kid a ton of credit for that. The second best part about the running game was that we got to see Chris Tyree again after he completely messed up a blitz pickup. And that could have been a defensive touchdown against Duke from the blind side that you keep a team in the game because you allow that. And now we know why. You can't just throw a freshman out there. But they put but him they back kept in. throwing him out there. That's, that's, what I mean. that's great. They put him back in. I'm glad they didn't lose him. But we know why you can't have a freshman out there at all times. You've got to be able to do that. I mean, he's, he moves so fast from that left side. Thinking he had to go to the right side, I get you know some maybe I guess Ian Book, maybe everything's on Ian Book and he's got to be like uh, check check check. <laughs> yeah, he does, but, uh, and that yeah. it's reasonable to expect that of him. Yeah, they have yeah. to. Yeah, you know, yeah, Tyree Tyree missed 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 the pickup, but then on the next play he got it. You Pete, you're right. Kyron Williams was buried on that one pass block, but he got the job done. It was enough to protect Book to get the throw off. Uh, somebody sandbagged us last week. Who asked the question about the split back with Tyree and Williams, which they did run one time, and it was very effective. That was when Tyree uh, clipped off his 25-yard run. And, man, when you see him get through that hole, that's where you see the really quick feet of Tyree because a lot, several of his other running opportunities were just kind of sabotaged. But yeah. um, I think somebody was sandbagging us there because they knew something about that split back. Because when they did run it, it was very effective. I thought Armstrong looked better than he had ever. That was the best he's looked since his injury. Um, but I'd still third, like to, you'd still like guy, to see right? him break a tackle, though. Yeah, I mean, he's like, not gonna. <laughs> well, there, <laughs> in order of... to be a running back, you're going to have to do that. But, which you know they they need to put him in. They need to then utilize him in the slot or some yeah. other ways. I shouldn't say it that definitive. When he's <laughs> running, when he's not running vertically, he's not breaking tackles. They he goes down. It's like a sack of potatoes that happened last year in the uh, Camden World Bowl multiple times where if he doesn't get turned, that he can't use his power, and I think the balance isn't there. But, he'll, I mean, that's his first game back, too. It, it, I, I, think least, I know. I think at least he, he, can help, he will help them this year. He had – I mean, he shouldn't even have been back last year. That wasn't fair to him at all. They made him look awful. No, he, he, did play, he did play hard Saturday. He ran hard. Yeah. I just – when he lowers his pads, he gets undercut. And he's got to be yes. – he's got to be able to win some of those – you know, he doesn't, he hasn't learned how lowers his pads very often. So when he does, he's got to win some of those battles. But a guy that we know will win battles when he lowers his pads is Michael Mayer. Yeah, boy. So recruiting matters, doesn't it? I mean, Holy you, crap. you get these five star guys running around there. It's like, wow, these guys are really good. Imagine if you had more of them. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the third and seven completion was. Got me hot and bothered. I need a cigarette at the end of that one. <laughs> he had no business. He had no business escaping that tackle. But no. I let me. I will say this because I did the I did the tail of the tape and I look up a lot of things. And he had sixty five pounds on Josh Blackwell and seventy five pounds on number thirty. I can't remember his name when he actually got the first down. Yeah, that looks that's that's what happens when Tate tries to tackle me at home. Like, <laughs> that's what that looked like. Not Golden Tate. Tate no, Samson. definitely not Golden Tate. <laughs> he might have had sixty-five pounds on him, but he still had hundred and eighty no, pounds. No, I get it. No, I get it. Dude, I get it. I did it. Guy, you know, he's got a he's got a he's got a big lower half. He is agile. He was is powerful. Brian Kelly commended him for a couple of his his blocks on a backside with Chris Rump. So I mean, that looks, considering that's his first college game, that looked like a pretty complete freshman tight end. 
my favorite thing about it was even though he was excited, he did not look surprised. He just got up. He's like, yeah, all right, let's go. <laughs> and that's me. Throw people around all the time. I'm going to keep doing it, I think. A couple of On things. The, uh, no, I just want one, one last thing on Mayor. We were talking about freshman usage. I love that he only played four fewer snaps than Brock Wright in his first game. That that really surprised me. Well, I thought maybe he'd be a 10-snap player. He played 28 snaps. That's why when people freaked out about Brock Wright being at the head of the, the depth chart, come on, man, you've got to understand what the situation is and don't overreact to a black-and-white piece of paper because that's what that reaction was. Isaiah Foskey is a special football player. I do want to point out that those, those three quarterback pressures right away, two of them, and he was unblocked. So that, that, that's beneficial. He's not going to be unblocked moving forward. But, man, what an impressive presence he is on the outside. His stop at the goal line does not happen to guys playing in their first major action. You're talking about they, the sack? Yes, on Chase okay. Price. They totally targeted him for that. And it definitely should have worked. And if that was fresh, I know he's a redshirt freshman, but if that is young player Stefan to it, he is breaking down the line and he's beating. That was had a been, genius play by Foskey for never playing in games. I mean, had it been a gofu on the edge, he would have bit because he yeah. bit on a couple a couple yeah. other occasions. Uh, but no, you're absolutely right. He he was great. He's going to have to play more. The reality is, I don't know how much pass rush you're going to get out of Dalen Hayes at Viper End. I, I just you know, I, I, I think Foskey needs to play. I'm not saying bench Hayes. I'm just saying maybe utilize him in other ways. Um, but Foskey's special. They need to get a GoFu or uh, they need to get a GoFu present a little bit more in the situation, I guess is a way for me to say it. I want to say on Hayes, I, I've only charted the offense. I'm only like eight plays in the defense, but there it was, I think it was. Duke's first or second series where there was a pass over the middle. It was incomplete. Hamilton jumped up. He thought he was going to tip it. He yeah. was kind of bummed that he didn't. But at the line, Hayes just beats his man one-on-one with an inside move. And I don't think we have seen a whole lot of Dalen Hayes just winning one-on-one in a pass rush situation like that. So, I, I mean, I'm, I'm with you. I don't. He's not an elite edge rusher. But if if he can give you a few one-on-one wins per game, even if he's if it's just a pressure, even if it's not a sack, I I feel like Notre Dame would probably take that, right? Yeah, no, I I agree. I, I I'm not saying he doesn't need to be on the field. I'm just saying that maybe you, and I don't even know if they're doing this, but I mean maybe you maybe you bump him over to the strong side. Although I thought Justin Adamiola, like usual, does some effective things. I want to, before we uh, move on to segment two, two things I want to address. The Buck linebacker, I, I, and I thought, I thought Leofau played more effectively than Simon. I think he's, I think he's really agile and light on his feet. I don't know that, I, I thought, I thought Simon's feet were, were stuck a few times playing Buck linebacker. I asked Brian Kelly about, is it realistic? Can you play Drew White and Bo Bauer at the same time? And he said, yes and that Bauer has played some buck linebacker before, those clearly look like your two best linebackers, but I'm just wondering if you're mobile enough if those two guys are on the field together. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if Jack Kaiser got you know, maybe 10 snaps instead of three or four. Um, I, I just thought the buck linebacker, that's going to be an ongoing competition for a while. I don't, I don't think Saturday really settled anything at that position. I agree no, with I that. Figure- Figure three through three games, and they have all that film of three. I mean, you know, three tests offensively where you have to yeah. see different looks and everything, and then they have a week off, and they'll figure out what they need for for the October. That's much tougher than September. The offensive line again, four hundred forty-one yards in your last nine possessions, and and after things loosened up a little bit after the third series, Kyron Williams did have running room. He ran hard, but he did have running room created for him from the offensive line. And then there were some short yardage situations where I thought guard center guard combination did a really, really good job. So I I think way too much was slanted in the minds of the public watching this based upon the first three series. I get it. You'd like them to come out, you know, a little bit sharper than that, but they were going against a, a a decent defensive coordinator that I think had some answers for them. And as, as the game progressed, they pushed people around. I thought the edge, I thought Hainsey did some really good things. 
Tremble, Tremble had up and down game. When he was good, he was really good. When he was bad, he was really bad. Uh, you know, mainly as a blocker, he let some blocks go by. But, you know, I thought there was overall, there was some pretty good push and Notre Dame's depth really showed itself moving forward. It's the beginning of the game. It makes fans upset. I mean, I, I get it. If, if you score on the first drive, you're considered sharp, right? You come out and then have those two bad drives in a row. Nobody thinks about it because you're up seven to nothing and you came out and you look sharp and Brian Kelly had a great off season and Tommy Reese had a script that was ready and everybody looks good. But those three drives were so ugly to start a season people were waiting for. I get that that's what you remember as a fan. You don't watch it. If you don't, not everybody watches the game back, right? We're going to have 90% of the questions are from people that don't watch the game back. I mean, when you were ending the middle of the second quarter, you're like, man, they're sharp out there. <laughs> you, you definitely were not. And when the game ends, you don't think, man, that offensive line was a dominant force. And then you look at it and you're like, you know what? They did exactly what fans want them to do. Wear down their opponent. Stick with the running game and win the game. And it just look, would have looked a lot better, especially for my prediction of 31-13, had they been able to punch one more in there instead of the field goal. <laughs> and uh, everything would have been, been perfect. It was looking good for you. It was looking time. good, and they failed me. Yes. Yeah, I thought about that, too. I, I mean, it's like you think about the Louisville game last year, and I think the immediate aftermath was like, God, Notre Dame's linebackers are terrible. Really, they were just terrible on the first two drives, and then yeah. they settled into a pretty good flow, and then they proved to be very, very good, if not great, the rest of the year. So it's it goes to O'Malley's point. It's like you really get stuck with your first impression, and it's hard to get it out of your head, even if Notre Dame has already advanced beyond that to yeah. something new. That's segment one. Segment two, burning up the boards, coming up. Indiana Dunes Tourism, located between Chicago and South Bend in northwest Indiana, is a proud supporter of Irish Illustrated. Extend your Notre Dame visit with a trip to the nation's newest national park. Visit indianadunes.com. Segment two, burning up the boards. We start with a question from Swarbrick for president. What differences did you see in Notre Dame's new offensive coordinator compared to last year? Any insight into why Ian Book looked frantic in the pocket for much of the game? Shouldn't we expect to see more from an experienced quarterback? Come on, man. You know the answer. I mean, Swarber yeah, for yeah. president knows the answer to that second part. I mean, yes. Your third question, the answer is yes. Um, you know, in, in terms of, man, I don't Differences from the OC, you know, was there more misdirection? I don't know. Um, I do think that they had more sort of kind of tip, standard, typical run plays opposed to it was less predominantly read option um, based on how I charted it out. So that that was a little bit different. That stood out to me, you know, maybe some more under center. Were they more in two tight end than, than sort of three wide, one tight end? A little bit. Um, but I'm not sure I would say that was necessarily a, uh, a difference. Did they stick to the run more than Chip Long would have under the circumstances? I, feel, no, I not, always felt like Chip, Chip Long stuck to the no, run. Like I don't, I don't disagree. I, I do yeah. too. I, I think what Pete pointed out, though, that there's more um, standard design, we are running the ball this play than read option, is a change we'll see going forward. Um, I like that change just because I don't like the read option. <laughs> so it doesn't matter if I, my opinion doesn't really matter on that part of it. But I also think and those plays hit really well too. It, it's, and that's what Brian Kelly spoke to for patience. He liked Tommy Reese's patience that he stuck with it. I don't think you're going to go into game one and see a giant change from what Chip Long did versus Tommy Reese, because they're not changing everything. They're tweaking it. And you really got to pay attention to see tweaks as opposed to changes. Yeah. And I don't, you know, as long as, First of all, I don't believe in that. Not that not that Swarbrick for president used this phrase, but happy feet because you want your quarterback to have active feet. As long as when they're active, he's actually comprehending what he's seeing, and I'm not sure that that's the case. There are a lot. We I didn't see enough um, views from behind book to know this for a fact. But every time I saw the view behind book, it took a long time for people to get open on the vertical routes. Like Javon McKinley on book sack in the first quarter. Javon McKinley broke open five and a half seconds into the route. What what does that do for you? Ian Book had Ian Book had decided he had to get out of there by the time Javon right. McKinley beat his man down the post from the outside. I think I don't think Ian Book trusts that they're they're gonna get open. And that has to do I, for good reason, right? I, no, I totally agree. I yeah, I, I don't think he trusts they're gonna get open. 
I don't think they got open all the time, and it's going to be a problem as long as there aren't guys getting open. And yet when Lawrence Keyes gets open and the pass requires yes. some air, you know, he, he throws a clothesline that, that he was – Keyes was temporarily dislodged from his route, just real temporarily. But because there was no air under the throw, there was no chance of the pass being completed. Yeah, that's a throw. You would need Ian Book to hit because he's a guy a guy with great touch. He's an accurate passer. He's a fifth-year senior. I one mean, Tony Dungy right away said, is that the first one downfield? I mean, and you're like, yeah, you know what? Yes. It, it is the first yes. one. And, one, and one, of the, one of the things I heard about coming out of one of the scrimmages was, man, Book is really putting some air under his throws and allowing his receivers to run under him. Now, Lindsay was probably involved in that, and a healthy Skronik was probably involved in that. Not to, I don't know that Skronik's how much of a downfield threat, but I mean, it's just a it's just a, a poor performance. I, I don't know what else to yeah, say. Should he? Could he? Will he? I mean, I think he will. I think when his confidence is high, he does. But his confidence wasn't high, and part of that may have to do with the receiving core that that is pedestrian compared to what he was comfortable with. Next one from Mr. Yips. Obviously, Book is the starter and the most accomplished of the three QBs. Curious to know how the other two are developing. I've heard good things. I, you know, I mean, I, I think they love, they love Brendan Clark's savvy and determination to be good. He's really committed to that. And then Pine has has a really good working knowledge of what they're trying to do. So those are those are positive things. But it really doesn't. I mean, it's just. It's just not going to be a factor this year. They're not going to go away from a 24-game starter that's that, you know, for what it's worth, he's 21 and 21 and three as a starter. And you can say that uh, you know, you can say Jarrett Patterson's 12 and 2 as a starter, too. I mean, much you know, like much like Tommy Reese was not going to be benched for Andrew Hendricks, your book <laughs> is not going to get benched for anybody else. So oh, just settle down. He just didn't. He, no, he, just and as he should have been. If that was Mr. his first start, I mean, Mr. Yips isn't asking that. He isn't saying that no, he should be benched. Not. But anybody that anybody that thinks that that is under consideration, it's not going to be under consideration. What you do is you try to get Ian Book to be better. You try to get Ian Book to be more consistent. That's just the way it is. He's the quarterback. Mr. Yips isn't saying that, but I know other people are, and that's just not going to happen. So give it up and move on to the next. <laughs> <laughs> the the next thing that you want to complain about, Jim underscore Booney underscore CRS. What position group gave you more questions and which position group gave you more answers? Buck linebacker, wide receivers, interior offensive line. Okay, which of those three gave you more questions? Uh, Buck linebacker, because I just, I didn't really have a positive or negative vibe about the position going in. And I don't have a positive or negative vibe about the position going out. And I think, you know, you could even maybe include Jack Kaiser in that competition. And Jack Lamb is his role is sort of confusing to me. So that would be the position where I'm, I'm more confused now than I was a week ago. Yeah. I, the clarity at wide receiver isn't going to come until they have their two best wide receivers playing. So that's for me, my, yeah. my number one, because I don't know where the answers are going to come until they, have their no, best players on the field. That's it. And and as long as they're there, things will pick up with the offense in October, even though you're playing better teams, because you're going to have high four-star, borderline five-star players running around catching passes. Right. And that's – Ian Book could use that to go along with that. So <laughs> with number two for me, I saw – Pete, I, I personally think I saw more from Maris Leofau that, that leaves me encouraged. I, I think – because I think athletically and I think – like alertness and being light on his feet. I like what I see there. I didn't quite see that from Simon. And then three, interior offensive line. Again, I don't even give that any consideration because, first of all, I think that they got good push when they had some third. Yeah, they, third down short. The, the fourth totally one, agree. the fourth and one touchdown run by by Williams, the twenty six yarder. If he plows into the line of scrimmage, they easily get the first down. If he goes wide which was the best choice because nobody else was out there, he gets a 26-yard touchdown run. I thought it was interesting to hear Dungy on a call say, like, that run was supposed to go behind Tremble. Um, 
and then Williams made the decision to cut it outside to the left um, to, to turn it into an outside run. Uh, but I, I do agree. It was, you know, if he had just run the play the way Dungy thought it was designed, like, you know, it would have been a three yard gain. It would have been a first down, no problem. And, and, and John, John Mer Smith's third and one, he gained four. Yeah. I mean, that, that was, a, that was an easy conversion. He had the first down before any contact. So, you know, I, 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 I again, eliminate the first three series of the game and evaluate the, the offensive line and the offense. Nate B, 12-16. I know we were without our three best receivers most of the game, but if they weren't afraid to use Mayer and Tyree, why not throw Johnson and Watts on the field when the other receivers weren't creating separation most of the game? Because I, I don't think playing Mayer and Tyree has anything to do with playing Johnson and Watts. They're pl- they play different positions with different responsibilities and different recognitions. You know, Mayer's, I mean, Mayer's not running a 17-yard route against the coverage. He's he's in motion, and they swing the ball out to him. Tyree, where they're handing the ball to him. Johnson, Johnson and Watts, I would imagine, have virtually no idea what they're seeing. If, they, if you had put them in the game and they were running routes against the coverage, just being your first college game and trying to diagnose a coverage, you don't, you don't know what you're seeing. You're so – you're – your head's spinning and you don't know what you're seeing. And Brian Kelly said that Jordan Johnson had some academic issues that, that he's dealing with too. And so he probably missed, you know, any real playing time against anything that Duke was going to run. To me, that that was one of the biggest disappointments of the game is that they couldn't find four plays for Jordan Johnson to run. I'm not saying he needs to be an every down receiver, but unless he has some like serious stuff off the field that we don't know about, like he should have got some reps in the game and then you can build on those. Like he, especially in a moment where no Skoranek, no Austin, no Lindsay. I mean, I, I just, I feel like that that's where get him some reps. Um, Something where he just like, comes, comes off hard off the line of scrimmage, pushes the corner and then, and, have and, it be a run the play. <laughs> like I put him in for a run play um, just to, to get him some action. Um, I just think he's so much more athletic than a lot of the Notre Dame's options at that position. That, yeah. uh, But again, it's, it's game one. If we were having this conversation after game five, that would be, that would be a real warning shot about what's going on there. I don't think much of it in game one. Uh, they weren't playing Chase Claypool, the sophomore in game one, two in 2017 so this is they don't trust it they're not putting him in uh brian kelly mentioned he might have to use xavier watts this week somebody asked about jordan johnson he's if he comes along and he if he comes along off the field he'll play on the field i think pete you got hit the nail on the head though if we're going into louisville and haven't seen either one of those guys and guys aren't getting open downfield and kevin austin just got back and he's they haven't played yet that'll be surprising but week one i don't think i expected to see either one of those guys when they didn't show up on the depth chart for game number one. I did expect guys to get open once in a while, but uh, kudos, kudos to Joe well, Wilkins for doing that. Yeah, no, Wilkins did. I mean, you want to yes. take, Wil- you want after the way Wilkins played, you want to take him off the field to throw Jordan Johnson out there? No, Joe Wilkins. Yes, ahead. Joe yes Wilkins I do. Well, <laughs> you're, 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 yeah, but okay. I understand, but you're, you're basing that saying that Jordan Johnson's a better athlete than Joe Wilkins, but Joe Wilkins helped you win the football game Saturday. He hit his play at the end of the first half was outstanding. I mean, it allowed them to get in, in, in field goal range. And then he had a tight rope, tight rope catch, I think right at the beginning of the, the third quarter. I mean, why, yeah, why are you, nice. why are you taking him off the field when he's playing effectively? The, uh, I mean, we're, just we're Jordan Johnson's better. Okay, I get that. Better I get athlete. That. No, I, I get, he's a better athlete. He's a better athlete. He's not a better receiver. One guy's been in the program for three years. Another guy's been in the program for three weeks. Denver Maximus, with two complete seasons under his belt, you would expect a more calm, collected leader. I think he's talking about the quarterback. Yet he can't get out of his own head, quote, unquote. New receivers aside, that doesn't explain not making the easy throws. What gives? We've said it. David Shaw quote? What normal people, like what people in football understand that normal people don't is sometimes you just don't play very well. I don't know. I'm paraphrasing what he said, but I think that was basically the gist of it. He said people don't like to hear it, but sometimes you don't play well. <laughs> so I think it's, you know, yeah, Ian Book did not play well. I'm trying to figure out his 24th start. I mean, without chronicling by stats, was it his 18th best start? And didn't you expect, like, his fifth best start? Is that fair? Yes. 
I think that's totally fair. I think it's, it, it's fair to not sit there and judge him against like Trevor Lawrence, right. but just be like, yeah, I expected a little bit better Ian Book than what we saw at the beginning. I expected the Ian Book that we saw in November last year. I'm not, I'm not really sure that we saw a lot of that. I do think getting into the stats, like the mid-range game was pretty good. Um, you know, I thought against the Blitz, he finished strong. Um, you know, there's a couple of play action uh, instances where he was successful. I bet the touchdown to Avery Davis, the pocket was really collapsing on him and he stepped up into it and made a nice throw. Um, you know, you just would like to see that a little bit more regularly. He had a great, I, I don't know if you mentioned it, but he had a great, there was a pass to, to Mayer, a 16 yarder where he really threaded the needle. He did throw some good passes, but yeah, it's it's twenty fourth start, twenty fourth start. So you expect him to lead you to victory, and to 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 a large extent, ultimately, when the game ended, he had done that. Wash ND, what surprised you most in a good way, and what disappointed you the most versus Duke? Well, for me, Kyron Williams, I thought he was, yeah. you know, I mean, for, he was great. He he really he did a great job. I love his toughness. I love his competitiveness. His helmet's getting ripped off. Uh, he's, he's, he's jumping back in there. I loved his enthusiasm. It looked like he was well-received by his teammates. I think he's a spark. I think he's an emotional spark to that offense. Uh, just to not use Kyron Williams, because I think that's, you know, the, the answer. I, I thought the secondary, uh, excluding Kyle Hamilton, was better and more efficient than than I would have expected. I was, I sort of came away thinking like, might the secondary be better than last year? It seems kind of a ridiculous thing to say, considering you're losing Alohi Gilman, Jalen Elliott, Troy Pride. But I think you could at least have a discussion about it, which I, I did not think you were going to be able to have a discussion about the secondary, which one was better um, at any point this year. Uh, Isaiah Foskey, because in 27 straight podcasts and videos, one of the three of us mentioned Isaiah Foskey as our breakout player. <laughs> Over the offseason, and there we go. <laughs> Kyron Williams is the answer. Isaiah Foskey actually just did exactly what we said he should do. And God bless him for making us right, because it took Tony Jones four years and Chase Claypool three when I said that last time. So pretty proud <laughs> I don't, of him. I, don't want, I wasn't surprised by Nick McLeod, but I think you had to be you – can't, you can't judge Nick McLeod's performance watching it on TV. You had to be there in person and watch what he did every snap where he's pressing and pushing – and, and getting into the upper body of the receiver. When, when he shows up on TV, it's a back shoulder throw, which right, you're, right. You're, look, you're, when you press, you're going to give up some slants. You're going to give up some back shoulder throws. And I was glad to hear Brian Kelly address that about the back shoulder throw today because you can't stop that, but they're willing to let the, he said, we're not going to lose on back shoulder throws. You will on the goal line, but, uh, but yeah. I, I know <laughs> yes. what, no, I know where he's coming from. And Nick McLeod, sets a tone on the boundary receiver. When the game starts, by the middle of the first quarter after a series or two, that boundary receiver knows that Nick McLeod is going to be on him all day and is going to be a pain in the butt. And I think we continue on this line because our next question is about the secondary. What I liked about McLeod and what you just said there, he is a competitive dude. And he has he has that uh, – the competitive athletic jerk in him that you like I want to use a meaner word but like that's what he you know it's great when he's on the field he is not your friend and uh, he's challenging you and I think he still has a chip on his shoulder for whatever reason <laughs> he carries the keep carrying that chip on your shoulder but Tariq Bracey uh, according to pro football focus was the only member of Notre Dame's defense this week to make their all uh defense team like 11 players player of the week he had three targets and uh he's they said that he influenced uh breakup on two of the targets so Pretty good effort by Bracey. Obviously, Awusu Koromoa had uh, must have had more competition at linebacker. Not to make that. <laughs> yeah, uh, three three targets and two yeah. plays. That's 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 not a big uh, cross section of work there. Probably why great well, did not be everything. <laughs> but, uh, Wilkins, Wilkins, the the big plays that Wilkins made was a surprise, and I really think. Oh yeah. Did Davis just have the two catches? Those were two really really important catches. Now, the, the competitiveness in the end zone. That's or oh, did he have three? Okay, no, both on third downs. Oh, both on yeah, third downs. Yeah, Davis I mean, had two. Davis was only targeted on those two times. That was well, it. And no, they were they were huge, huge yeah. plays, including oh, yeah. the third and eight conversion. So uh, those are those are surprises. Sweet John blue Milton. corduroy. 
Yeah, Where we, we kind of hit that one with the secondary here. Unless you okay. Wanna... John Belcher, 68. Since we don't seem to have much of a deep threat, how does Tommy Reese find ways to leverage his best personnel sets? And John Belcher chooses multiple tight ends and still spread the field so upcoming defenses don't stack the box. I, you know, I think Michael, Michael Mayer is going to be a quarterback's best friend. I think you can do, you can do an awful lot with him. I, I thought as the second half unfolded, uh, you know, Tony Dungy kept talking about misdirections. I thought, I thought Tommy Reese had, had Duke really guessing in the second half as to what they wanted to do. I, I, I was, I was impressed with the game that Tommy Reese called after the, I, I mean, after the, First three series, I was impressed with the game that he called. I guess I would say, you know, maybe a, a few more play action shots worked into them. And they only had, I only had them on for, for four play action throws all game. And I mean, one of them was the 20 yarder to Jafar Armstrong, which isn't really like a classic play action play. Um, but, you know, it's, you're not going to be able to make a team unload the box by running multiple tight ends. Like the opposite is true. But you get Braden Lindsey, Kevin Austin, Jordan Johnson, just run straight down the field, man. Like, just do a go route, chuck it. Um, I think you, you got to have a couple of those a game just to keep people honest. I think people are going to love the way Tommy Reese uses the tight ends when Braden Lindsey, Kevin Austin, and Jordan Johnson are on the field. And no one's covering the second tight end. <clears throat> because that, that's what yeah. it is. The, the, the two tight ends were by far their best targets. Well, Joe Wilkins did a great job, but Michael Mayer and Tommy Trimble, if you're Duke and you're looking out there and like, man, by the end of that second drive, those corners must have come back to the bench and said, these guys cannot run past us. And when guys can run past you, that means Michael Mayer and Tommy Trimble are going to have more room to run. And they're going to, they are, Tommy Reese will look awesome when he has his best wide receivers out there, or at least awesome compared to what people felt they saw in the last game, because speed kills and it'll make everybody better. K. Beasley asked, did Isaiah Foskey leapfrog Ovia, Ovia Gofu and earn significantly more snaps moving forward? Does it again, he will. You, I mean, he looks like an NFL player, so I'm going to say yes. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a good way of looking at it, Pete. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the shoulders, like the shoulders that come out of the shoulder pads, like <laughs> – this I is the new Chase more of that guy, please. This is the new Chase Claypool for Pete as a young freshman. Yeah. <laughs> Helmet glistening in the sun. <laughs> I mean, not even, not even on the, a cloudy day. <laughs> not at the expense of a Gofu getting buried. You, you, you no, need no. to develop him. I, I, yeah, I no, I agree with everything you're saying about Foskey. I mean, he passes the eye test. He passes any test based upon the way. He played, but you've got you got it. You've got to get a go for reps because he you need him as well. Because and I agree, Pete, what you said about Dalen Hayes. He did do some good things, but I think over the long haul, moving him around a little bit more and then getting your pass rush from Foskey and a go for is the way to go. And Mike Elston's going to use them all. He did a great job. I mean, I, I used right. to care when I'd see the second string in there and the other team was driving down the field, and then you realize <laughs> by the middle of the third quarter, all that mattered when Notre Dame starters are fresh and annihilating the uh, opposing offensive line. They used 11 different defensive linemen in the first eight plays. It's incredible. I mean, and they really, and not using Justin Adamalola in the first eight plays, then he ended up playing well. There's number 12. Like No, he was, he was one of the first. He 11. was one of them. I didn't think he came yeah. in the first wave. Yeah. Yeah. He was in this. He was actually in the second group, which really surprised me because the second group was Foskey, Justin Adamalola, Cross and Franklin. And I don't, I don't think we talked about we've talked about Cross a little bit, but I don't think we've talked about Franklin at all. No, I was I when I watched the TV version, I was shocked that Franklin and Cross were in on the fifth snap of the game. I think Lacey missed some late camp time, probably is what uh, gets Franklin in there, maybe over Lacey. Yeah, yeah. Uh, And for the record, Brian Kelly uh, was adamant about getting more corners on the field, so I think we'll see more of Cam Hart, certainly. Uh, maybe Isaiah Rutherford, maybe Clarence Lewis, since he was maybe, oh, certainly, Cla- yeah, Clarence Lewis. I could have sworn uh, at the end of the game that the unusual series where, yeah, I'm like, why do they keep dumping the ball off? They got to throw the ball downfield when Notre Dame had three in a row uh, negative yardage plays defensively. Well, Notre Dame was in a dime, and I I could have sworn I saw Clarence Lewis as part of that, but it was 
it was brief and it was in, it was flashing looking at the TV version of it. And I'm, I'm not sure, but Clarence Lewis and Cam Hart, definitely uh, you'll, we'll see more of them this weekend. Kaiser Wilhelm thinking about how you felt after the Louisville game last year, is it possible your feelings about the Duke game will evolve by the end of the season from a mediocre effort against an ACC bottom feeder to a solid effort against a quietly above average team? Oh boy. Uh, Louisville's <laughs> skill position talent was a lot different than Duke. And that was the thing that struck me most about Louisville. I was like, damn, they are fast. I didn't feel that way about Duke. Yeah, I think Pankow can do some things for them. I think Duke's um, defense might be what we have to watch going forward. If their edge rushers get more pressure and their secondary plays that well, then they'll win, they'll win some games. In the you ACC. know, that's that's really two years in a row where Rumpf and Demukeji they didn't do anything against Notre Dame. Did they? I mean, last year? I was not I, impressed with either really of those guys nothing. just in yeah. person. I mean, it's like, this is an all-ACC type of defensive yeah. end. I, mean, I don't, Rumpf I don't get was, it. Rumpf kept jumping offside. He got banged up, you know, three times. So that may have influenced the way he played. But that's two years in a row where, you know, I don't think either one of those guys really did a whole lot against them. And to that point, pro football focus ranked Notre Dame's pass protection as number one in the country in week two. <laughs> so, really. they did, so you're right. They didn't do much against Notre Dame. So, <laughs> yeah. so had happy feet in the yeah, – <laughs> No, I, I did. You know, happy feet and slow developing plays. I, I, I you worked it in. You weren't going to work I it tur- in. <laughs> I, I, I turned my head off because I've never heard anybody say, "Wow, that that seventy five yard run that was really good," despite it being a slow developing play. I, I, I know somebody asked a question about that. I'm having fun at their expense this week, but uh, yeah, I think I think I will say that Chase Bryce gives Duke a, a chance to be competitive in the passing game as they move on. Whereas Quentin Harris last year gave them yeah. really no chance of, of doing that. CMU Penn, CMU Penn's fan, Priester and Sampson. What was your game day experience like in the pandemic world and O'Malley covering it from home? I, it was really bizarre walking around the stadium beforehand. Um, I sort of did a lap around the stadium just to be like, what's this like? It would just felt like a typical June day in South Bend. Um, there was really no atmosphere at all outside. Um, but I thought in the stadium, it did not feel like a spring game at all to me. It felt like, it felt like a fan base that knew there was some stakes um, and they behaved accordingly. So I, I give those 10,097 people who are students, faculty and, Oddly, I think you you guys probably have run into or talked to a bunch of people who are neither students nor faculty nor staff who are also at the game. Um, that uh, I, I did a good job. I, I didn't think about how there was only ten thousand people there once the game started. That's probably the best way to put it. Only Jack Freeman knows this, but I came very close to being one of those uh, random non-student and faculty to be at that game. And that may be something <laughs> in the future, as Jack and I pointed out. We we're a little worried about the laptop in the rain, so that did not happen. But hopeful that uh, that will be a thing. Uh, at home, it was weird. Uh, got a babysitter for eight hours, which is good, because it would not have worked out very well had I did not. Had I not. Um, no, people don't care about this, but my stat feed was one play ahead of the screen of the game on my TV screen. So while Kyron Williams is running for 75 yards, I found out that Ian Book threw an interception afterwards, which kind of, <laughs> kind of deflated the moment for me. So I had to go off the stat feed from the Notre Stadium. Don't look at, don't look at the stat feed so anymore. much. Yeah, but uh, I will just say a shout-out to – post-game, I went – writing my notebook, I went Arizona State, Louisville, and Stanford style. Shout-out to their media relations and athletic directors because my, pop, my post-game beer was popped during the notebook like we do at those three beautiful stadiums when they come around <laughs> with a beer cart. So. That was the uh, addition. Uh, Pete, I, I personally, I think that you're missing some times where when the game just wasn't going very well, I thought it was deathly quiet in there. Now, when the, when the student body got into it and the student body was spread out, you had the band and you had the scoreboard, you add all those things up and it was, yeah, I mean, it was, it, it sounded pretty good in there. I, I found there were a couple of times where like, oh my God, it's deathly quiet because you know, even when it's a full stadium, when Notre Dame's not playing well, 
and you can't hear the people it's quiet bitching yes. and moaning about the way <laughs> things are going and the, it, it can the, get it can get very quiet and like in the press box the windows are open which i feel like they're usually not so they're not, no, they're whatever not. sound there is is i've always complained comes about this in um so maybe that influenced my sort of perception of how much sound there was or wasn't just because the windows were open but they, i mean overall i just thought they did a good job no they did they did i thought they used the scoreboard well they definitely need to keep those upper windows open in september and october when it's warm because we get when it when those are closed, we get really no feel for the crowd. It, it's yeah. really it's yeah. really difficult. Whereas when we go on the road, Michigan uh, is open, right? Michigan they open. they I mean most most uh, yeah Michigan was definitely was open on a rainy <laughs> night. Yeah, right. you could yeah. Hear everything. it was crazy. So uh, that yeah, but it, strike ball atmosphere. Yeah, yeah it yeah, it was good. Yeah, I mean it was good. They did. I thought Notre Dame did a really nice job. Tim is a veteran um, of one game at home, and you are a veteran of zero games at home in the last 38 years. Wow. Uh, I, would, I would like to point out to you that you do not have time to make a lunch at halftime, so pack a lunch just like you're going to the game because you want to do all your work during the half like you normally right. do. Right. You want right. to have your right. lunch ready to go. So if that happens to you later in the season, Pete, <laughs> be prepared. Okay? Yeah, well, I did, I did have a couple games at home in 2017. I really didn't like those at all. Uh, <laughs> JC underscore M underscore F, our last question. Based on what I saw in game one, my recalibrated expectations are Clemson's a likely loss and going one and three versus Clemson, UNC, Pittsburgh, and Louisville. One and three. Oh, I mean, if the Duke performance was replicated 10 more times, then (laughs) I can see where JCMF is coming from. I just don't think that's going to be the case. Um, We've often seen that replicated 10 times. No. You know, it's like I realized we've got the first game indicative and like theory. And I I think there were some things from the opener that probably will be indicative of the rest of the season. But one, hopefully one of them is that the receiver position is going to get healthier and uh, more available as the season goes on. Because then I think that the the offense is really going to grow. That's how I feel. The wide receiver position, if if Lindsey for some reason tweaks a hamstring and Kevin Austin re-injures his foot, then this Offensive performance will be indicative for the rest of the year against good teams, including North Carolina, because they have athletes too. Um, but if those guys are back, then Notre Dame's offense is what it's supposed to look like. It'll be better. Yeah, and Clemson's going to be a Clemson's always hard to beat. I don't know if people picked up on that. <laughs> that's a that's a tough one, whether you look good against Duke or not. In North North Carolina's on the road, Pittsburgh's on the road. I mean, we've talked about this since you know the eight million stories that we've written since April about the possibilities of what can happen there in Louisville you know, offensively is going to be a handful again. There's no doubt about that. But Louisville has their defensive problems, and Pittsburgh has their offensive problems, and North Carolina has their defensive problems. And they all won fairly handily, right? UNC, North Carolina needed to score 21 points in the fourth quarter. They were threatening yeah. They were threatening to lose that game through three quarters. So I think you have to uh, realize that other teams have problems too. And I don't, for a second, expect Notre Dame to go one and three in those four games. That's it for Irish Illustrated Insider. We appreciate you joining us. We'll be back Thursday to preview Notre Dame versus South Florida this weekend.